Today on the Cameron Journal Podcast, we are happy to talk to Johnny May. He is the author of a new book called Lethal Keystrokes. This book is all about a um, sort of a cyber terrorism, cybersecurity sort of scenario. And he has some terrorists who are using um, the internet and computers to try to uh, create terrorist attacks and uh, the people that are trying to stop them. And so in this wide-ranging conversation, we talk about cyber terrorism and cybersecurity. Johnny May is a medical doctor, a professional musician somehow, and um, also was a computer programmer earlier in his career. So he is an interesting expert on this whole situation. We talk about social media, screen time, cybersecurity in the medical world, all this type of thing. So this is an interesting conversation, fascinating author. The book is called Lethal Keystrokes, and here's my conversation with Johnny May on the Cameron Journal Podcast. Let's go. This is the Cameron Journal Podcast. It's a place where we talk about important things. It's a place where we bring a little slice of the news to you. And it's a place where we do important things, have important conversations. It's also things that I like to talk about. My name is Cameron Cowan, and this is the Cameron Journal Podcast. on the Cameron Journal podcast, I am so happy to welcome John May to the podcast. We're talking about his new book called Lethal Keystrokes. And this book has to do with how technology is affecting our lives. It's supposed to be action-packed and explain through clever storytelling how the interconnectedness of our world is affecting us all. So Welcome, John, to the Cameron Journal Podcast. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, so let's start from the beginning. What inspired you to write a book about modern technology? Well, I've always had a keen interest in in technology, um, computers, etc. In fact, I worked at IBM as a programmer analyst for several years before I um, decided to um, have more human contact and and go to medical school. So, but my interest in technology and uh, has always been there. And then actually during my medical career, I started uh, over the decades seeing the impact of technology on um, my patients, on the children, uh, screen time, et cetera, and the invasiveness uh, in, uh, issues, and also uh, security issues, uh, working in hospitals, et cetera, with people's sensitive data. We always had to be very, very 
cognizant of breaches of security, whether just leaving your computer unattended for a second uh, or things much worse like ransomware. So I've always had a, a keen interest in technology and how it integrates into our lives. I mean, that's rather impressive. You like, you know, we're kind of like, oh yeah, computer programming was fun. And some people would have just been like, oh, let me get a promotion or change departments. And you're kind of like, you know what my life really is missing? A medical degree. A yeah, I should right. go become a doctor. That's, I'm always impressed by people that like do something that's really elite and advanced to switch to another elite and advanced thing is crazy to me. Like it, it's, yeah. I'm just always very impressed by that. So, well, thank all you. right. Yeah, so why don't you walk us through the basic plot of League of Keystrokes? Well, without giving too much away, um, I, I believe my interest is stoked by a couple of things. One of also, besides interest in technology, I've also uh, been interested in reading about how, why certain countries, certain groups want to become a, a terrorist organization, want to attack another country, for instance, the United States, uh, or any other Western nation for that matter. Uh, and uh, so I had a lot of interest in uh, what happened in Somalia in the early 90s. I thought that was that's a story that just uh, has been forgotten. You got the movie Black Hawk Down, but then the whole thing that happened to Somalia after that sort of been forgotten. And then uh, so that's, that's, those are my, pro, my, my antagonist guys, you know, they're, that's the roots, how, how they um, might want to do something to harm America. And then um, some of the other interest in technology I have is things like um, personal assistance, home assistance, like Alexa and so on. Uh, so there have been many articles about an invasion of our privacy, people listening, in fact, Google employees listening, uh, perhaps to uh, home conversations, etc. And that, um, you know, uh, upsets me, actually, but it was intrigued me. And then there was a couple of articles about how they were going to increase the power of uh, the listening devices in the um, uh, in these units. And that really got me thinking about what if somebody could use this kind of technology against us. Not just the, you know, the freaky voice over the uh, baby monitor and, you know, <laughs> coming from the, from the crib, but what if there was a real uh, impact on our society? So that's, that's how we got inspired. And I'll tell you, I'll, you know, sort of take it from there. Um, yeah, yeah. So what, what's the basic of the book? So we've got the Somalis on one side and people with Alexa on the other. How does it all go down? Well, it all goes down by um, the invasion of uh, an individual's privacy, and that person may, uh, in fact, have a very important job in the infrastructure of uh, America, and particularly the this is city. This is situated in northern California, southern uh, Oregon kind of area, northwest. Um, this person is very important in the uh, in managing an infrastructure, and he his personal data, etc., could be compromised by this group. And so um, that is 
the gist of the problem. Um, people are starting to investigate um, another kind of terrorist thing, as a, a, but it was set up maybe by other people as a red herring, or was it? And so the FBI goes chasing after all sorts of terrorists. Meanwhile, in the background, uh, what I'm trying to get at is so many people think terrorism today uh, is or is f what what it was in the past. You know, uh, AK-47s in airports and bombs on uh, in public places and marketplaces. But what about lethal keystrokes? What about how much damage um, terrorists could create? in our society by attacking our infrastructure through computers. And so it's that group pitted against the FBI trying to track them down. And from the second half on, it is just cat and mouse and chase and action. And most of my readers say they can't put it down. So a lot of story building at the beginning as I've described, and then it, it rocks from there. Very nice, very nice, very nice. <clears throat> so I, the whole cybersecurity, by the time this goes to air, um, I, the conversation I had with Scott Schober about um, cybersecurity will have posted. Um, cybersecurity is one of those things that's rather, rather esoteric, even though it's been a word and an aspect of our lives for 20 years, most people still don't understand how it affects our lives. So what kind of research did you do to figure out how this sort of thing might be pulled off? Well, um, the internet is a wonderful thing. So I uh, started out by just reading about cybersecurity and breaches of cybersecurity that have uh, occurred uh, in, in the world uh, and uh, how um, what the impact was and what the um, people did to protect themselves or to recover from the cyber attack. So uh, I, I, my computer background, I mean, I don't want to get too technical, but I do understand some of the ins and outs of, uh, kind of you know, how do you break through firewalls, et cetera. But uh, it's, it's a fascinating topic. And I, you know, unfortunately, uh, there are lots of articles about it, but then there's a lot of secrecy about it. No one really wants to talk about what they're doing to prevent uh, a cyber attack at their facility, at their business. Um, I mean, most people, they buy an antiviral software for their, their computer and that's, that's the end of it. Um, I, I, I guess uh, I have an interesting story. I, I bought one of the leading um, antiviral software uh, thing, packages for my, uh, my home computer. And in the process of the monthly download of all the, the um, updates, somebody hacked into the update. And so uh, not just my computer, but a whole lot of computers oh, were affected. No. Uh, That's kind of just yeah, the point of an update. <laughs> exactly. And I had, to, uh, I won't mention names, but I uh, spent an hour on the phone with, uh, with a, a tech from the security company trying to explain to them. They just didn't believe me. I said, the source of the problem is the update you sent. Your update somehow got hacked. And so that's the problem. So you need to do this, this, and this. And finally, they listened to me, and I actually solved the problem for them. Um, so uh, it was uh, that was quite a few uh, few years ago, and everything's a lot more sophisticated now. But certainly, it 
uh, it can affect us enormously, whether it's uh, turning off the electricity or whether it's just simply what we have now that's uh, quite common is ransomware. They, they hold your data for ransom. It's, uh, it's pretty scary stuff. Yeah, you mentioned um, in the beginning that you were um, kind of also inspired by the amount of screen time and how is it affecting grandchildren and patients and all this type of thing. Um, what, what has been your observations on how social media has affected our, our health? Well, um, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but certainly um, I, you know, doing, I've done everything from family practice to taking care of cancer patients and doing palliative care. So I've, I've had a lot of variety in my medical career. And the biggest thing that I thought was important in medicine was um, fam family and social interaction. Uh, nothing is better than um, seeing families communicate, good parents communicating with their children in a, in a, in a healthy manner. So that's that's person-to-person -person communication. And, and so in the business, I'll call it business that I worked in, uh, it's so important. You can't, you can't uh, be um, aloof if you're talking about cancer care or palliative care and stuff. You're face-to-face. You're, -face. you're in there and it's very personal. And you learn all the nuances of a personal interaction. Take that and then put it on a phone and swipe left, swipe right. <laughs> you know, all it is is one second blurbs and people are getting, finding people a date or whether it's just sending all your communication by emails and texts and using emojis. That is not human contact. And I think a lot of people um, mistake all this technology for human contact and it's not. And I think the beginning of the pandemic when we were all forced into some degree of isolation, I think you started to, some people started to realize that, you know, Zoom meetings and, you know, uh, Zoom dinners and cocktails and texting and watching each other on video just wasn't the same. We started to really get the message that we should be interacting with each other personally. And so, right from the, the children spending too many hours in front of a TV and not socializing with friends uh, or playing sports uh, to adults, um, again, isolating themselves, not going out and meeting people and being with people, just communicating through technology. And I don't, I don't think it's healthy. Yeah, there's been a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of talk about that. And as someone who has lived both sides of that. Like I'm old enough to remember the years before the internet, but I was also, have, I'm young enough to have had it be a huge part of my life. In fact, um, you know, if people are listening to this conversation, they probably found this episode via social media. Um, mm -hmm. All this type of thing. I've always, I've always had this kind of dual relationship with it. Where it's like, on the one hand, I realize it's ills, but at the same time, though, it is a huge part of my brand. It's a huge part of the traffic. It's how the Cameron Journal exists at all. Um, and so I kind of have this tortured relationship with it where it's kind of like, yeah, it's not that bad. It's not that great, but it's also my whole business. And, yeah. um, I, and I think, how, what would you say to people who are struggling with hearing all the ills about social media and all this type of thing, but have also come 
to be quite accustomed to interacting with, you know, friends and family, especially if they're a bit far flung over social media where physical interaction is too expensive, too time consuming, all this type of thing. Where do we find the balance? I think that's what people are struggling with is that we know that social media is not great and we need to, you know, not do it as much, but it's also a great way to communicate. Where do we find the balance in that? That's a, that's an excellent, excellent question. And I, I don't know that I have a, a perfect answer for that. Um, I think that with all things, we need, sometimes we need to step back and say, uh, you know, how is this impacting my life? But the key is to remember that these are tools and they started out as tools to, as a, and one form of communication for when, as you say, it's too far away, people are too far apart or not enough time. They, they're great tools. So all the social media stuff um, is um, excellent, but it is not, it shouldn't be your lifestyle. <laughs> it's, it's a tool, not a lifestyle. Uh, and there's too many people that just fall into the easy route of, of just communicating that way. And I think you have to remind yourself that um, there's nothing, and this is, this really sounds hokey, but you know, there's nothing better than a hug, yeah, personal contact. And so, yes, you've got these people that you, you communicate with, uh, if they're important to you, you need to make your time to, to communicate in uh, a different manner than just social media. And um, I think it's just uh, the finding the balance is to realize I'm using this as a tool, um, but there are other better ways, perhaps, of, of doing this. And just keep re reminding yourself of that. I think it's not just, it's not so simple to, oh, just limit your screen time per day. I think that's not um, how it works anymore. If technology and social media is just too prevalent, too pervasive in our lives. So that's, that's silly. Yeah, but how you use it uh, is important. And uh, yeah, as you, as you said, uh, it's, it's an amazing freedom uh, what social media and technology, technology has provided for us. Um, bef uh, actually, before I was, uh, wrote this book and before I went to medical school, I was a professional musician and songwriter. And I, I, I back in the days of putting out records and doing concerts and, uh, and stuff like that in person. And now anybody can create a song and put it on Spotify or whatever social. It's, it's freedom. That's great that, that there's so, so many people can have the access to putting stuff on a YouTube channel, uh, putting stuff on Spotify. But there's no triage. There's no one looking at the quality. And it's just actually ends up being a bit of chaos. And in fact, if you look at some of the things that have happened with social media, such as <clears throat> the insurrection stuff that, that happened uh, in Washington, it's, it's anarchy. Everybody's truth is equal, and that's not correct. Uh, so there, there are actually uh, a group of hundreds of scientists um, of all uh, ilks trying to determine how we should uh, look at the internet and social media as far as the good and the bad. How do we get truth back into to the world? It's not just, you know, who who do we believe anymore? And how do we how do we uh, lead that conversation back towards centering it around some sort of general truth instead of everyone's having an opinion like in free for all? I that's I know I go on. <laughs> <laughs> 
I get a, no, I get no, no, no. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, it's like, and yet another career we've discovered, like, <laughs> it's like programmer, musician, and then at some point you're kind of like, you know what people really need? Doctors. That's where I'm gonna go. Um, it's uh, yeah. So I mean, so let's uh, let's also kind of turn our attention to speaking of medical, the medical profession. How has technology changed medicine? Uh, I, I have found that um, the internet is a great source of information uh, and people uh, research their symptoms and they come to uh, a medical appointment. I've had, I had one patient come with a, uh, a file folder that had to be at least two inches uh, with uh, articles printed off the internet about what they thought was wrong with them. Uh, another guy came with a whole three ring binder. Uh, he was an engineer. And uh, he said, this, this is what I think's wrong with me. This is what we should do about it. And I said, well, okay, um, you're just here to tell me what to do. But I, I'm, here, I'm here to work with you. Um, but let's put it this way. You're an engineer. If I went on the internet and I read a, a whole bunch of articles on how to build a bridge, a big bridge, like you know, cross a river or something made out of steel and concrete. And you would trust me to design and, and execute that plan because I read about it on the internet. No, it's context. And it's, that's what my training is allowing me to do is to put whatever ails you into a context that makes some sense. And then we can discuss it. So right from the get-go of, of the internet and all the information that's available is wonderful for patients, but it's also confusing if you don't know how to interpret the information and you can't put it in the right context, then it becomes a bit, uh, uh, it could be uh, led astray very easily. As far as on the good side, I think that uh, the diagnostic um, ability of our scanners and uh, just our basic CT scanners and MRI scanners and PET scanners are all filled with such incredible technology that allow us to see things so much more clearly and make sense of them. So that's amazing. Of course, there are new lab tests and uh, new medicines all the time. Fantastic. Created by artificial intelligence, some of them, or just by the amazing um, technologists available there to sequence DNA, for instance. Um, as far as artificial intelligence replacing a doctor, you know, like uh, you just stand, you talk, walk up to a computer screen and ask, a, it asks you a bunch of questions, answer them. Uh, I would say that's not, that, that's a bit of science fiction that's got some ways to go before it becomes uh, really useful. Have I ever used a diagnostic uh, program? Well, when I was really, really, really stuck. Yeah, I, I wanted some ideas and it gave me ideas. I still had to make the decisions. So I think uh, technology and medicine is uh, just even patient records and the transmission of patient records between doctors, hospitals, all of this is good stuff. So it's been, it's an enormous impact on, uh, on healthcare. Yeah. In fact, when I uh, left uh, IBM and was still had a lot of my programming chops, I, um, I, when I graduated from, from medicine, I spent some time with a, a programmer developing some software uh, to run uh, a medical office. It didn't really pan out much more than uh, a few uh, 
hundred users in the, in the local area and I've got too busy to participate. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's a fascinating topic unto itself. Yeah, no, I, I, that's, I mean, it's odd, like, again, old enough to remember the old days when, you know, the doctor would bring in, you know, the insurance billing form, and that's how everything was filled out, and all this type of thing to now where everything happens on a computer, you know, every, you know, orders for medication, everything, it's all digital yeah. now, like, I was just in the hospital for kidney stones two weeks ago, and I, there was probably as many thank you um there was as many computers as there were nurses and doctors you know like it was yeah. you know they haven't digitized the iv drip yet but give them time um <laughs> yeah. you we, know we need the star trek infusion through the skin that's what we need yeah yeah i'm still waiting for that because invariably every time i go to the hospital i've got at least two ivs going um uh, and so yes. uh, i also have severe asthma and i've been in the hospital since where i've had up to four two in each upper arm mm. two in each hand um mm. and uh so it's been a little um it's been a little crazy but uh yeah that digitization hasn't gotten there yet but it seems to have reached every other part of of yeah. medicine and especially now with like data and data privacy to circle back around to the cybersecurity thing i feel like it's only a matter of time before like people's like medical records like what happens if people if they start dumping medical records or take them hostage or whatever have you like there seems to be a lot of existential risk that nobody really talks about yeah that that has actually happened uh, i don't know uh, i live in canada and there's been a couple of um situations where medical information has been held ransom uh, uh, and hospitals have had to pay hackers uh, to get the medical data back. There have been incidences uh, where um, files um, and a computer were uh, put onto a hard drive uh, for the secretary to back up on an offsite computer. Uh, she mislaid the hard drive. It wasn't password protected in any way. And the records fell into um, wrong people's hands and a lot of um, people in the Toronto area um, uh, had their medical information out there in the world and you can imagine just the oh, oh, what an invasion of privacy right right so when it comes to these medical privacy issues and this you know record keeping and cybersecurity and all this type of thing what like what what do we do and and how does it affect people how can we put a stop to it or is it just you know an odd an odd sort of thing how's that in your experience um uh, a program oh about 15 years ago where if um you personally were responsible for a data breach and that could be simple as you're logged in looking at a patient's information on a screen in the in the nursing station or the doctor's workstation in the hospital and somebody says doctor come quickly and you get up and leave and your your computer is logged on get a fifty thousand dollar fine for that uh, and if the hospital is any way found responsible, that was a million dollar fine to the hospital for any breach like that. So very serious consequence. In fact, I did get burned that way. I had exactly that scenario happen. I was looking in a little side room off the nurse station, doctor's computer station, had a patient file up there. 
and I was called away. I had to rush over to do something. When I came back, of course, the, the computer had timed out, logged back in, carried on, and not thought nothing of it. The next thing I know, oh, I forget how long it was, an uh, hour later, I was hauled by security into the CEO's office and uh, told that I had accessed um, some one of the staff members' medical records. Um, and the reason was because the person had fallen down the parking lot, broken their leg, and the other nurses wanted to know how she was doing. And they, so they saw my computer logged in. They went over, checked the information on their buddy, and uh, but that's under my name, and I'm hauled down and threatened with a fifty thousand dollar fine. So it it is it, it can happen so quickly, and it can happen to somebody that's very very aware of these issues. So it is. Uh, this reliance on technology is um, great. It is helpful, but it is so easy for uh, it, things to go um, the, the wrong way. <clears throat> so, yes, I mean, that, that's a, a, a difficult situation. And I understand, you know, the high stakes nature of the of the environment. And all this type of things, it would be, you know, it's very kind of difficult to, you know, to to manage all of that and 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 deal with this new this new aspect of security in our lives. Like, you know, it, it almost feels like, you know, it's uh, you know, we we know to like lock our doors on our homes at night. We know to lock the doors on our car, all this type of thing. But I feel like when it comes to computers and security, we haven't reached that level of the habits and whatnot, you know, the the locking of the digital door, you know, the setting of Absolutely. the virtual car alarm to make sure yeah. that, uh, you know, things are, are relatively secure. I, I feel like we're not in that habit yet. And after 20 years, we almost should be, but we aren't yet. And well, I totally agree. totally agree with you. I mean, look at the number of people that use one, two, three, four as their password. I know, I know, I know. We can't even get online passwords right. Um, <laughs> and 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 it's funny because, uh, like, uh, conversely, you know, you have that issue, and everyone's like, "Oh, change your online passwords." You know, if something happens, all this type of thing, and 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 whatnot. But then people also resist using biometric data, like facial recognition or fingerprint, to you know secure things as well. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of like this weird thing where it's like, you know, people aren't, don't want to, they're resistant to doing things that would be easier and more secure than passwords, but then won't keep proper password security at the same time. Hello? Uh-oh, are we still having Hello? connection issues? I really don't know what the resistance is. I, I think there's some strange quirk of human nature. For instance, I'll just give you an example about um, uh, cancer, people's fear of cancer. Uh, they would say to me, you know, I'm really concerned about drinking water from plastic bottles. H how many parts per million of toxic chemicals are in that you know, water from the spring water in the plastic bottle. And yet they don't wear sunscreen when they go outside. And I, I had this happen in a meeting with uh, some, uh, I gave a talk and a person was a smoker and they didn't wear sunscreen. 
uh, when they went outside in the sun and they were fair skinned. So the risk of cancer from getting melanoma, skin cancer, or uh, dying of lung cancer far exceeded any possible risk um, uh, of any new particles of toxins in, in water. But the people jump to that. And I've even had, going back to security, somebody will say, I see on TV, this fingerprint thing, they just take you over and put your finger on the button. And that doesn't, so it doesn't matter the, what their passcode is. They just, they, well, they chop your finger off and they put it on the thing and, and get it scanned. Oh, well, isn't that dramatic? You think that that's really going to happen? Uh, what's really going to happen is you've got a crappy password and somebody's going to hack you remotely, uh, not break into your house and chop off your finger. So there's a, there's a human nature to take things very dramatically and, and, uh, and ignore and forget the mundane. And the mundane is have a password that's at least eight digits long and the combination of things, not one, two, three, four. And uh, don't worry about somebody cutting off your finger, or, uh, taking your eyeball out and doing an iron scan. But they were, you know, the influence of movies. Yes, no, that, that is obviously very much lifted, lifted from movies for, for sure. And uh, yeah, that is, no, I mean, I think, I think we all, I think a lot of that has to do with the media and the risk level perception, right? Like plastics in the ocean and chemicals from plastic gets a lot more press than skin cancer. And incidentally, yeah. I'm in the same boat. I, I vape and a lot and I am biracial and have brown skin and I live in Seattle, so I never wear sunscreen. I didn't wear sunscreen when before I moved here. And I certainly don't now because it's, it's only sunny here for three months of the year. So, right. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, all, it's all about like what gets the press. Plastic gets the press. Skin cancer yeah. doesn't get nearly the press. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, yeah, very much so. And I think uh, the point I was trying to make uh, was that in my book, Lethal Keystrokes, uh, the, the, one of the characters just you know, isn't very good with, with home security. He's got a, a device that can listen to him. That's one thing. But when he enters his password, uh, you know, it's short. Um, it, he uses the same password on multiple sites. Uh, and uh, he uh, mu often mutters the, the, the password, speaks it out loud as he's typing it in. How ridiculous is that? So, and this guy is uh, very important. So how, how simple it is to think of somebody using uh, his uh, his computer, et cetera, to do bad things. And the other thing that got me thinking was during the pandemic is all this working from home, how that changes security. All of a sudden, you've got people they are doing very important jobs. Are there is is their internet secure? Are they doing it from um, a, a location or house or somewhere a cafe or outdoor cafe? Is the internet secure? And all of a sudden, this job that they were doing at the bank or whatever, no one would have ever questioned the the security of the system at the bank. But now they're they're working from home, so and uh, it's it's a um, really got me thinking. So that's a lot of that was fodder for for the book. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like working from home for IT people to have to do it all so suddenly and for so many people was a security nightmare. Well, not only a logistics nightmare, but just a security nightmare to try to keep, you know, data secure over 
a wide variety of internet connections and all this outside, all these outside devices accessing a network and making sure only the people that are supposed to be there are there. I mean, that I just, you know, shout out to the IT crowd who had to manage that overnight. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's, it's an enormous task. And yeah, you no, know, when I was when I was at a computer uh, analyst at IBM, one of the things I had to do, I had to monitor um, this one program, make it sure it, it ran worldwide and I had to make sure it worked properly. And there was one woman, sorry about that. There was one woman uh, that had the job of doing some entry by manually uh, keypad and she, the program would crash and they have to call me at four o'clock in the morning. And I would just say, just don't run her data and I'll fix it in the morning. This one woman just couldn't get it right. And this is year after year. And so you've got these weak links in uh, complex computer systems and it's human error that, that uh, can bring it. This, is a, this program ran in IBM worldwide and she could bring it down with one keystroke, a lethal keystroke. That's very clever. That's very that that's bravo, sir. You that that's very Thank impressive. You. Yeah, yes, clap, clap, clap. If we had an audience, they would applaud. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, we're we're reaching the point where we we talk about plugs and where we like people can find you on social media or find your book. So why don't you walk us through how we can interact with you online? Well, um, you can interact with me, Joni May three sixty five on. Um, on, uh, I guess, Facebook, Instagram, uh, johnnymay.ca is my website. Uh, and uh, that's also, uh, Johnny May is the name I use for my music. So Spotify and YouTube, so if anybody wants to check out my music. Um, and of course, um, my book is available uh, on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, and in Canada, Chapters Indigo. And of course, you can always uh, bug your local bookstore person to order it from Granville Island Publishing in Vancouver, Canada. So lots of ways of uh, finding me. Wonderful. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Cameron Journal podcast. We appreciate you for coming by today. Well, thank you so much for uh, giving me the opportunity to chat with you. And it's been really enjoyable. I'm sorry about the little technical glitches there with the audio, but um, that's been a very delightful experience. Thank you very much. all for this episode of the Cameron Journal podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us online at CameronJournal.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I love to talk to my followers and listeners. So please feel free to uh, get us on social media at Cameron Cowan on Twitter. And we'll see you next time on the Cameron Journal podcast.